Hi, my name is Rutenda Nyamuda and welcome to a very honest and reflective episode of In My 20s. In my 20s. While you're here, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Coming up on today's show, our guest speaks openly about the realities of living with depression. So welcoming herself onto the In My 20s podcast and into the In My 20s family, here she is. Hi, my name is Andela Mlandu. I'm very big on health, fitness, on women. Your 20s are a time for you to travel and to learn to love yourself even more. Now on every episode of the In My 20s podcast, my guests always come through with these incredible mind moments or gem moments. And this is just one of them. I woke up the next day, uh, obviously my stomach got pumped and I was in this doctor's, in this, in this ward. The first thing he asked me, he said, what's wrong? And I remember saying to him, my heart is so sore. And he said, you're depressed. The In My Twenties podcast is split up into three sections. In the first section, we get to hear a little bit more about Ondela's career journey. In the second section, we dive into today's topic, which is all about living with depression. And finally, rounding up all three sections is a conversation on the all-consuming twenties journey. Let's get straight into it. Can you tell me a little bit about your career history and your career journey and how you got to where you are today? My career journey was kind of one with many detours, mm-hmm. uh, but somehow everything has kind of made sense and connected somehow. So taking it way back to end of varsity, varsity I was at NMMMU, um, it's now known as NMU in PE, Eastern Cape Girl. I did um, marketing, mm. which is really nice. At the time, I wasn't too keen on it. Initially, I wanted to do investigative journalism because I had a love for Deborah Patter. And just her drive and how she was just so dominating. Mm-hmm. That didn't quite work out. So anyway, after NMMU, I decided to take a gap year. Went abroad for a bit. Stayed in Amsterdam. And just before my visa expired in Amsterdam, I decided to apply for jobs back home because I needed something to do. Mm-hmm. And I applied and I fortunately got this gig. Um, it was only supposed to be for three months, an internship at a marketing boutique um, in the CBD. And... Went through, it went great. I started three months of just learning about marketing, about social media. Um, and then after that, you know, they decided to extend my contract, but give me a different position. So that's when I tapped into client service management. Mm-hmm. After my client service journey, you know, I had this amazing friend. Her name is Uvoyi. She recommended me for a writing gig. And little did I know that this job would probably open more doors for me in terms of the media industry than mm. I had anticipated. Yeah. And so what are you doing at the moment? So now um, I'm currently, I'm a journalist, mm-hmm. I'm a radio host and producer. Yes. Um, I'm, a, I'm a feminist. Yes, most important. <laughs> um, and I just basically aspire to be a modern day warrior woman. Um, mm. And I, I'm just very passionate about all things female. Yeah. And I know in the journalism sector that you are in, yeah. you are very active. You're very sporty. I think your Instagram, every time I see you're doing <laughs> a race or you're exercising, I'm like, me too. I'm on my way. I'm coming tomorrow. <laughs> How did you become so active and so sporty? So for me, I, I was quite active in school. Mm. Uh, we kind of basically were forced into doing phys ed. Uh, which is physical education. I mean, you got you got rated based on that. And so I think that's where the commitment started from. And it, mm. was, it happened from a very young age. And so throughout my high school career, I was quite active as well. Yeah. And then varsity, I kind of 
took a break from that. Mm. Didn't do it so much because other things, you know, recreational. Because <laughs> like <laughs> yes. um, But I think this year, well, yeah, this year more than ever, I've been yeah. more intentional about it. Okay. Um, especially because my 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 physical health is kind of very much linked to my mental health. Mm. Um, and because of that, I have to always maintain my physical health because mm-hmm. if I let anything slip, I could, I, I mean, I'm, I'm scared of where I might go or what might happen to me. So, Ondela, you mentioned something very interesting about how your physical health has impacted or definitely impacts your mental health as well. Mm. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about your journey when it comes to mental health? You know, I think my mental health journey started way before I even realized it was happening. Mm. In the sense that from my maternal side... Um, of the family, you know, my gran had dementia, but we had no idea it was dementia. Mm. We always just assumed that it was oh, old woman just going a little bit crazy because of age. Mm. I mean, my aunt had bipolar and she was sassy and she was fun. But obviously as our community and our like society, especially black households, we don't take those things into consideration. We just always think, oh, no man, this person, we are geza or this mm. person is just you know, just being unnecessary or wanting drama. So I think a lot of my mental health issues stemmed from when I was quite young. So they stemmed from my relationship with my father. Mm. Um, he's a phenomenal man. Mm. But I think a lot of what I went through was me constantly trying to please him mm. and wanting to be seen, but it was never, I was never, I was never there. I was never seen. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I know no degree of mental health is is to be taken lightly. Yeah. And I think we all have different stories and we all kind of have, you know, different reasons as to where our mental health stems from. And I think daddy issues play, you know, a very large role in most of in most of our lives, except, mm. especially when you want acceptance. Mm. Um so yeah, that's that's basically where it started. Yeah. I just want to touch on something you've mentioned, you know, with having family relatives who have experienced mental health uh, issues as well, mental health concerns or mental health disorders. Yeah. Some of the times when it comes to diagnosis or how it comes about, it is, you know, genetics play a big part in it. And we don't talk about genetics. We're just like, oh, one day so-and-so woke up with depression or anxiety or bipolar, mm. forgetting that it is genetics. It Definitely. is also your biological makeup as well, environmental factors. There are a lot of things that impact and influence one's mental health. This is so true. You know, you know, I was kind of reading up on depression mm. because I think it's important that we do so, so that we kind of know what's going on with ourselves and with the ones around us. Yeah. And you'd be so surprised to know that one in six South Africans actually suffer from depression, sure. you know, and this is all linked from like, these, this, this includes bipolar, schizophrenia, um, anxiety, which is not to be taken lightly at all. Mm. And a, a lot of people also, their depression stems from substance abuse. Mm. And it's a real problem. You know, the sad thing is, is that only 27% of South Africans actually get treatment or get sure. help. So we definitely still have a long way to go mm. um, in terms of our mental health as a country. Yeah. But I get it. People don't want to speak up mm. because our society is one that judges. What if I'm seen as weak? Mm. Which is a big thing. So I actually had a friend of mine who came from New York recently and she was in, in the essay for a bit. And she says, the running joke in New York is 
when you're having a conversation with someone, you'll say, you know, where, where do you work? Where do you exercise? And who is your psychologist? <laughs> That's and amazing. She says it's standard. <laughs> Whereas here in South Africa or even in Africa, we don't have that conversation. Yeah. It's so normal. When we actually talk about health in general or our well-being in general, there is a lot of focus on mm. our physical well-being. So how good do you look? Do you go to gym? Do you it's run? True. There's the spiritual side. Do you go to church or do you go to mosque or, mm. you know, what are, what are your spiritual practices? And no one really says, mm. how is your mental health? I feel like that should be number one on that list. Mm. How is your mental health? Because what you think and what you feel, yeah, you know, is basically in charge of your entire body. There was a point in my life where getting out of bed was the toughest thing to do. My mom had to literally be on the phone and say, okay, get up. Yeah, one foot out, now the other foot out. Walk to the bathroom. To have your mom on the other line walking you through your day, like how, you know, how to actually function is something that I never thought I would ever experience. Yeah. And I'm fortunate because I do have a mom who has kind of, seen what I've gone through. She's made it a mission to kind of educate herself about what I'm going through. I mean, my mom reads up on these things. Um, she checks in still to this day, you know, just to find out how I'm doing. If I'm silent for too long, she wants to know is everything okay. And we have conversations about mental health, which I think not many people are fortunate enough to have. Mm. So I want you to take us a little bit back because you've just spoken about how your mom was on the phone and, you know, instructing you one foot out, yeah. get up, walk up. Um, how does one get to that place or how did you get to that place where it was really dark and where you were really lonely? What was the build up to mm. that point? Okay. So I mentioned earlier about my amazing job that I, that I got for, mm. with the, the travel magazine, which was a dream come true to be able to see, you know, the whole of South Africa and, and, and be a part of what we have was phenomenal, mm. but it also took a lot of strain on my body. And I think, you know, in, in corporate companies, you, especially if you're young and you're single, single being you're not married, mm. they, they, they take us for granted because, you know, they feel like we maybe have more time. We don't have as many responsibilities. Um, and so we can do more. And I think that's exactly what happened with me. I was put in a position where also wanting to prove myself because as a perfectionist that I am, I always want to give my best and do my best and put myself, you know, at the forefront of I could do this, you know. And I think that's exactly what happened. So I reached a point where I was constantly saying, I'm keen. I'm going to do this. Mm. I'll, I'll go. You want me to drive all the way through the wild yeah. coast by myself? You know, I will do it. Mm. So that whole like needing to prove yourself. Needing to prove I myself. Am, I can know, do this. I can do this. I am exactly. worthy of being in this position. Exactly. Mm. And, you know, if you do that, if you're traveling and you're on the road for, you know, two weeks out of a month, you know, that, that takes a lot of strain on your body. Mm. You get back to normal life, you know, as glamorous as it looks on Instagram, we go through the most, yeah. you know, you come back to normal life. People have, people carry on living, right? You, and then you kind of have to kind of find your place now with your friends and normal life. Sitting at a desk is very hard because you haven't, you know, been seated in a long time. Mm. And with that comes a lot of loneliness. While you're on the road, yes, you get, you get lonely, believe it or not. It's amazing to wake up to the spectacular sunrise, you know, overlooking a beautiful lake, mm. but you're alone. You're in a hotel room. You're alone. You have to drive long distances. You're alone. You get back to, you know, your home, which is not really your home anymore because you practically live out of a suitcase. 
Sure. It's lonely. Mm. Um, How long were you with the publication for? I, you I was there. I was there for two and a half years, three years. Okay, so it was two and a half years of this. Two, yeah. Okay. You know, magical moments, but also very, you know, heartbreaking moments mm. where I would cry myself to sleep. Not because I wasn't, you know, I mean, I loved my job, but I also just felt like if I tap out or if I say I can't do this, I'll be I'll be deemed weak. But with that, my body took a, a you know a massive toll, and it, it it was a painful experience. And I remember it was a Sunday. I'd gone to church. Sermons were good. It was it was a nice day. But I had just come back from a trip, and I was really tired. And I remember going home, driving home. It was a, the last service, six thirty service. And I remember I got home, and it's so weird when I tell my my mom and my psychologist the story because it it almost seems like it's not like it's too good to be true. I remember I stayed in the commune and I got into my room and while I was in my room, I I heard an audible voice. Sure. <laughs> now for someone who's spiritual, like I knew that that wasn't something that was clean or, or pure or from God. I heard an audible voice and it basically said, they won't miss you. Right. And it almost, the voice sounded like how we're speaking now. And I thought, okay, this is weird. I've just come from a very beautiful sermon. I'm alone in this room and it's like, what's going on? And it is so strange when I tell you that that Sunday, I tried to take my life. Sure. And I think it was because of things that had stemmed, you know, from the past or whatever, or either from the past or how I was feeling at the time, just feeling like I was so exhausted that I just couldn't. Mm. Because sometimes you get to a point where you just feel like you cannot. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I got to. I just mm. felt like, is this really worth it? Yeah. I just want to rest. And also the thing is with social media and, and, and people looking into your life, not realizing what's happening, even friends sometimes, mm. they just see this perfect, glammed up, oh my gosh, she's living her best life. Mm. And they don't realize that it's it's a lot tougher, yeah. you know. I was yeah. basically living two worlds where, because of my brand and because I what because I was known as the traveling girl, mm. I had to I had to maintain that. Yeah. But inside, I think I was just I was I was dying basically. Yeah. It's almost like this filtered life that we yeah. carry around, like literally, as you're saying, like on Instagram, on Facebook, on yeah. any social things, no one would ever know yeah. because the pictures we post in general in society are the great pictures. True. We take 150 pictures and we post that one where the light is great mm. and we look good and we're happy and we're smiling. And we've got the makeup on. It's very true. But when you mentioned that crying yourself to sleep at night, I've been that I've been there as well. Um, you know, working at a company where I was also going through some stuff emotionally, mm. I was fine in the office, but the minute I closed my car door, yeah, I would start crying. Those drives home where you're just in tears. Mm. And it's you know, you know that deep cry that just, you know, it's almost like you can't breathe and you just yes. need a moment and you're just driving home and mm. you're just so upset. Yeah. I think I had more of those than than I can count. Yeah. To the point where I got to there was a time where I said, God, if I can never cry again, I'll be mm. so happy. Mm. Like, just take the pain away. If you say that you love me, you won't be bringing me this much pain. Mm. And so coming back to, you know, that point, and I don't know if you are open to share. Yeah. Uh, you spoke about, you know, wanting to take your life that evening. Yeah. Um, in what way was it through medication? Yes. So okay. it was, it was, so I heard this voice, which I honestly believe that it was just from very dark, a, a dark spirit mm. or whatever. And I remember taking pills 
Um, I'm not even sure what pills they were or, or why, but I just knew that this, this is what I needed to do and I couldn't go on any longer. I took these pills. They didn't work. I woke up the next day. Uh, obviously my stomach got pumped and I was in this doctor's, in this, in this ward. And I remember my, the doctor coming up to me and he was saying, you're depressed. I never thought that I, I would be depressed. You know, mm. people, when people are sad, they always say, Oh, I'm so depressed. Oh, I'm so sad. Mm. Oh. But when the doctor said that to me, he said, the first thing he asked me, he said, what's wrong? And I remember saying to him, my heart is so sore. It honestly felt like my heart was in so much pain. You know, when you have, mm. you knock your knee over something mm. or, or you fall and you feel that pain. That's yeah. exactly how my heart felt. And he said, you're depressed. And I said to him, well, I don't know how we're going to fix this. And he said to me, you need help. And that was the start of my journey and working through what had been kept over years, you know, because I was trying to be the strong person, mm. um, you know, this person who'd always done this and achieved this and maintained, you know, this, this kind of image mm. in front of her family. And yeah. I, and I, I was falling apart. Yeah. How old were you then? This happened, this happened last year. This happened last year. This happened last year. So you were about I was 27. 20, 27. Mm. And so weird. It's, it was around this time, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I asked because you mentioned earlier that you, as a child, you were always trying to please your father. Yeah. And to be seen. And perhaps, it, as you said, like it's a build up of so many years of needing to be seen, whether mm. it's in a family space or in a workspace, it's like, I need to be, I need to be, I need to be to this point where you're just like, mm. actually, I'm tired of needing to be. Yeah. And I think that's last year was the breaking point. Mm. I mean, I ended up in a, in a mental clinic, okay. which honestly, it sounds really rough, but it was the best experience of my entire life. Mm. How did that come about? Because <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, because actually the first time you mentioned that you went to a mental clinic when we met at an event, yes. you were so like upbeat about it. And I was like, this is great. It is. I Who, mean, it's, how did it come about? <laughs> who decided, did you decide you wanted to check yourself in? Was it a doctor who said so? Was it a family relative? So my doctor, you know, after the consultation, he said to me, you need help. Mm. And the next best thing is to see the psychologist. And I, and I connected really well with the psychologist, um, Dr. Malcolm, who was just so incredible and so understanding, mm. so professional as well. But also him coming from a, a you know, a Christian background helped mm. a lot because I'm a Christian as well. And he said to me, it's not going to help if I have sessions with you once a week and then you go home because you're going to go to work. You're going to put up the front and then that that kind of defeats this purpose of us trying to get to the root of what is causing you to feel this way. Mm. So he said, I need to check you in. And I don't know, I can't tell you how long it's going to be for, but we need to do this and we need to get all of that, that yuckiness out of you. And we need to do the work as soon as possible. Yeah. So I got back to work and I took leave, handed in my doctor's note and <laughs> I remember checking into this clinic. Yeah. It's in Claremont. I remember checking into it and the lady at reception was, you know, doing the paperwork and she said, don't worry, it's fun here. It's like a hotel. <laughs> I looked at her and I was like, this waterfall in the middle of the, the clinic <laughs> like, is, is, is not a hotel, hotel to me. <laughs> yeah. 
I was like, this is, you know, I almost chickened out and I almost left. Everyone who was there had different degrees of mental disorders and they just wanted to ensure that you were going to be safe. There was strict security. It felt nothing like a prison. But I mean, they were quite strict about who could go in, who could go out, visiting hours, because you were there to do work. Yeah. You were there. But you were also there on your own kind of your own grounds because you wanted to be there yes so if you wanted to leave would it have been that easy just to say look i don't want to be here anymore yes it it would have been very easy for me to just leave but i think because i knew that i needed help and i wanted to i wanted freedom Mm. i wanted freedom i wanted to laugh from the pit of my stomach and just be free okay you know and and i and i knew i had to put in the work okay i was told it was not going to be easy Mm. but i was willing to do it okay which i did and what did the program look like how was it being there did you make friends like the first week was terrible okay the first week was terrible i was so emotional i had to be put on sleeping tablets because i couldn't sleep I cried often i was just so sad i just felt like when i first got there i i used to call it a psych ward and i think just like many people in society, mm. I already had, you know, concluded this was not for me. Mm. This was, this place was for nutters. I'm not a nutter. <laughs> just girl, a girl going through a whole lot right now, but I was mm. going to be okay. Yeah. We had a different calendar for each week. So I was there for a month and a half and we had a different program. So Monday to Friday, we had classes and sessions from like nine until five. I met up with my psychiatrist twice a week mm. to check up on whether or not my meds were treating me okay mm-hmm. and how I was feeling. And I met up with my psychologist every single day. He was so dedicated to making sure that I got the most out of my experience and that I was feeling okay and I had someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. And he was there every single day, Monday yeah. to Friday. Yeah. Um, and what do you talk about? Because I've seen a psychologist once or twice, and but it's so in- interesting. Like, what are, they, what are the kind of questions they ask? How deep do they go? For me, it got, it got really deep. It got really deep in a sense that growing up, I kind of endured a lot of um, sexual abuse. And so when you take things and you just compartmentalize them, you forget that things happen. Mm. And so we kind of dug deep. We dug so deep that it got so uncomfortable. And I hated it. I really hated it. Having to go back to speak to my five-year-old self to bring her, (laughs) no, almost to bring her back and to say to her, you know, I'm going to protect you. Mm. You know, that's a very confronting thing. It's mm. not, it's not comfortable at all. You don't go to bed feeling great. You yeah. go to bed feeling heavy yeah. because the things that you have kept, you know, to yourself for 20 years, yeah. um, not a family member knows that nobody knows about sure. it, you know, and it, and it was heavy. Mm. But there's also so much that we do carry from our childhoods yeah. into our adulthoods um, that appears in different ways. So mm. sometimes it does come across or come out in anxiety or depression Definitely. or bipolar. Sometimes it comes out into excessive excessive eating, yeah. alcohol abuse. It's all of these things because we're trying to mask and hide yeah. whatever we're feeling. And sometimes that feeling is shame. Mm. I love how you mentioned that because I've experienced all of those. Mm. <laughs> I've eaten myself. I've eaten myself into a coma where food was my crutch. Yeah. I've had moments where alcohol was my crutch you know having nightcaps every single day mm. um you know you think that it's it's to help you fall asleep or it's oh you know but you know that it's a lot deeper than that you just don't want to feel you don't want to feel yeah you really don't want to feel um and until you confront all those emotions and, mm. and that past you'll never you'll never be free yeah but like you said it's so uncomfortable it's, it's not nice it's it's not it's like if you're imagining having an argument with a person, like for example, if the two of us just start arguing and now it's coming to say, like, I'm sorry, mm. you know, this is now needing to apologize to yourself yeah. for things that were not your fault, 
for things yeah. that you carried. And now it's like, I'm so sorry I had to mask that. I'm so sorry I had to put you there. You mentioned talking to yeah. your younger self. If your that younger was so self tough. was standing in front of you right now, how would you respond to that younger self? Mm. You know what? I'm excited now because during all those sessions, so the sessions at the clinic were basically, we covered so many different topics. Mm. How to set boundaries because often many people were there because of, of not being able to set boundaries at work. Mm. I mean, people in, in, in corporate South Africa were there. Heads of, you know, organizations where their people are falling apart and you know i learn how to set boundaries you learn how to say no you learn about what love is what self-love is so for me it was a journey of unlearning i had to go through it in order for me to be the person that i am right now you know and to be able to speak about my, mm. my past i mean i used to cry mm. um I used to cry. It yeah. was never something that I could easily speak about. Mm. But I found so much freedom in this, yeah. speaking about it. Yeah. You mentioned unlearning. Mm. And I think there are a lot of beliefs and behaviors and practices that we grow up with. Some of them are put on us by you know, parents yeah. or relatives or siblings or ourselves. And some of them just come from society as well. What are some of the things that you had to unlearn in order to free yourself? I had to learn that... That I'm, I'm so worthy. For a very long time, I think because of my, my sexual abuse, I, I felt like I was so unworthy that for me, dating was not even something that I considered, you know, I never took it seriously. I, <laughs> I was a serial dater and I did it because, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I was looking for a father in these guys or maybe I was, hoping to find some kind of love or, you know, somebody to reassure me of how amazing I was, but it never stemmed from myself. And I had to learn the hard way. I had to strip myself down, literally strip myself down and learn to look in the mirror. For a very long time, I couldn't look in the mirror. Um, and it was something that I really struggled with because I think when I looked in the mirror, I saw a lot of shame, a lot of guilt from the secrets that I had kept. Um, and yeah, it just, that experience stripped me completely. And so when was the turning point for you? So the turning point was when my psychologist asked me to write a letter to my perpetrators. A letter to my perpetrators and a letter to myself. That was hard, but I did it. And we tore it up afterwards. Mm. Look, you go to these, you know, clinics, there's not going to be a change while you're there. It's, yeah. it's a process. You kind of also have to work, put in the work as well. Mm. But I could almost feel myself getting my strength back. And he asked me, he said, how do you feel? And I, and I said, I'm starting to feel a little bit light. Cause when you end up, you know, when you're carrying all these, these things, all the shame, all this mm. guilt, it's heavy. It's a heavy load to bear. And I remember just feeling like, okay, my shoulders were dropping a bit. I'm starting to look into the mirror and, and I'm seeing someone that I want to get to know. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned from this journey? And like you said, it's a continuous journey. Yeah. You don't, you're not suddenly healed or suddenly cured, but what are some of the key lessons? Oh, I love this. I love this question. Thank you. I have learned to be kind to myself. I appreciate myself so much more. I celebrate myself. I celebrate tiny wins. I've learned to honor myself and honor my body, honor my health. Um, and I've just learned to... To make it about me. I mean, I know some people can't afford therapy or people don't have medical aid, but there are so many 
you know, free networks and communities that help the South African depression and anxiety group. These people are there. They're a phone call away. You don't necessarily have to go into a clinic. You can just pick up the phone and like give them a call. And it's just, it's so therapeutic to just speak to someone. How would you summarize your 20s? A beautiful mess. Our 20s are very go-y, man. Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> you don't know whether you don't know whether you're coming or going. Yeah. You you know that you want to achieve, but you also know that there's certain obstacles that are just going to stop you. Mm. Um, and I think it's up to us to kind of push through them. My 20s have been such a roller coaster. Honestly, like I have cried so much, mm. but I've also laughed a lot. And now I've experienced so much freedom. Mm. Have you ever experienced the quarter life crisis? I think last year was my crisis. Okay. (laughs) Last year was definitely my crisis. You know, just falling apart, having many anxiety attacks um, and just being stressed. Mm. I recall my mom just always saying, I'm going to say it in Isakosa. My mom always used to say when I was younger, Dine Nevs. And for me, I was just, you know, translating into English. Everyone has nerves. But when I actually sat down, I was, mm. you know, I'd recall, like, no, man. Mm. The nerves, I have them as well. It's very frustrating to have. Mm. Um, and I think that our 20s are a, a special time. Sometimes you don't realize it in the moment, but they're meant to break us. Because I feel like something very special happens when we turn 30. I don't know about you, but I mean, people in their 30s that I'm, I'm surrounded by are so self-assured. Mm. They're so confident. They're so fearless. Yeah. And it's beautiful to witness. Yeah. You know, it looks like a gear change. It's just like the minute they turn 30, they're just like, I don't have time for people. I don't have time for this. It's either you're with me or not with me. I don't have time to make you like me. If you're in a dead end job, you're like, goodbye. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And in our twenties, I think we, we, we're afraid of letting people down. Mm. And so we, we hang on, we hang on because you know, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Mm. (laughs) That job Mm. that's making me feel unhappy, it'll get better. Does it get better? Mm. It's it's almost like we move out of, because I think there's a season where you need to be liked. Maybe your early 20s, you want to be seen going to the right places, hanging Mm. out with the right people. And then it shifts into a gear of, I need to prove that I'm worthy of whatever it is that I have. Yeah. So if you are a writer, you have to prove that you're the best writer. If you are a producer, you have to prove that you're best. If you're a lawyer or a doctor, you're trying to outdo yourself. And nobody, nobody's put that pressure on you, but you. You've obviously had like a very interesting, no doubt, a very, very interesting 20s journey. You've had some really good highs and some really low lows. But I think your journey is definitely one that will resonate with a lot of people. One, because of how honest and how open you've been. And two, how okay you've made it to say, if there's an issue, if you're suffering from a mental health condition, go and see someone. Go and see someone. Get diagnosed. There are a lot of free resources, as you've mentioned as well. And most importantly, it is okay. Yeah. And that for me is like my biggest take home is you don't have to hide it. It's okay. It is really okay. Um, And so I want to find out what advice do you have for people? First of all, what advice do you have for people who are suffering from a mental health condition right now? I would definitely say speak to someone about it. You know, have that one person that you go to, to, to speak to. It, It makes a world of difference. You know, you'll find that we're all going through something. And you have nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. So for me, I think free yourself more than anything and, and just 
you know, I love the word authentic, authentic because it just, it, it means that you are you at your truest self mm-hmm. and you need to be that. It's exhausting living two lives. Mm-hmm. I know it's exhausting, but the minute you free yourself, honestly, life becomes a whole lot easier. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing. And what advice do you have for people in their twenties in general? I would definitely say it's okay to put yourself first. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay to not commit to a person, mm-hmm. to not commit to a company, mm-hmm. to not commit to an organization, anything. It's okay to you're you're allowed to change your mind. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to say, actually, I really want to do me, and for you to actually do it. Um, I think your twenties are the best time to do so. If you want to pack your bags and travel the world, sis, go. <laughs> <laughs> Just go, go yeah. for it. Sometimes you feel like you have, you, you know, you owe it to an organization to, to be so loyal. Mm. But if you take a step back, sometimes you have to like see whether or not they'd be loyal to you, you know? So putting yourself first is a non-negotiable. It's okay to just do you in the truest sense of if you want to uproot your whole life in your twenties is the best time. I would say go for it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ondela, for coming on to today's episode and speaking so openly and so honestly about your journey in dealing with depression. Mental health conditions, mental health illnesses in general is something that I know a lot of people, a lot of youth, a lot of millennials can relate to. If not them who have gone through it, they could definitely point to a family relative or a close friend. So to everybody else, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. I hope you got something out of it as much as I did. And we will catch you same time, same place, right here on In My Twenties.